Welcome to EO Audio, the twice-weekly podcast brought to you by the East Oregonian. It's Friday, September 4th, 2015, and hey, it's Science with Sarah Gardner. Today, Sarah talks with Dr. David James, who wrote the book on Northwest Butterflies, literally. His book, Life Histories of the Cascadia Butterflies, was published in 2012. He talks about efforts to restore monarch butterfly population that has been in serious decline since 1997. Welcome to Hey It's Science, I'm Sarah Gardner. This episode I will be discussing monarch butterflies with Dr. David James, an associate professor in the Department of Entomology at Washington State University. Thank you for coming on the show, David. Thank you. I wanted to get kind of a general overview of what your research with monarchs is and how you got involved in it. Sure. Well, the monarch butterfly is a charismatic species that we know quite a lot about in in the eastern United States, but surprisingly we know very little about it in the western U.S., and particularly uh, Pacific Northwest, uh, where we know very little about it at all. And so the research we're doing is aimed at um, rectifying this um, deficiency in our knowledge, um, particularly in its um, migration. Where do the monarchs from the Pacific Northwest go to, and, and where do they come from? Simple questions that we really don't have the answer for at this point. What kind of inspired you to start doing this research then? Well, that's, that's a long story. Oh. I, <laughs> I, I mean, butterflies have always intrigued me and fascinated me, and I became an entomologist because I fell in love with butterflies when I was eight years old um, in England growing up. And then I, I moved to Australia and did my PhD over there, and my PhD thesis was on the monarch butterfly. And uh, the monarch is present in Australia because it, it found its way there. Uh, island hopped across the Pacific Ocean and, and has adapted to a new environment in Australia. And uh, my, my PhD was concerned with that, looking at how it had adapted to the Australian conditions. So what we're doing now is, is really just continuation of my fascination with the monarch butterfly and again, in, a, in an area, as I said, the Pacific Northwest, in which we know relatively little about its biology and ecology. And so we're looking at the migration as a, as a start to the research that we're doing. Could you provide us, um, even though it's, it's not super well known, but could you provide us with a brief overview of the natural history of the monarchs in the Pacific Northwest? Yeah, well, you know, we've been working on it now for... Um, three or four years and so there's a cycle of events that, that we see happening every year. First of all the, the populations uh, in the Pacific Northwest um, are very small. Historically they were much larger um, as, as we know the population of the monarchs has, has uh, declined throughout the US. Uh, in the Pacific Northwest um, appears perhaps to have declined even even further so that in most years, most summers, we see very few monarchs. But this, this current year, 2015, has actually seen the largest number that up here in Pacific Northwest that we've seen for at least five years. So we're having a good year. But the, the year usually um, starts for the monarch in Pacific Northwest in early June. And so for the last three or four years, they've turned up um, in Washington State in the first week of June. And that is... Um, a generation of individuals that we think has migrated from Northern California. And in fact, this year we, um, 
we actually, well, I actually did some tagging of monarchs in Northern California around Memorial Day and uh, only tagged 20 or so that were actively migrating along the, the Trinity River um, in Northern California. And, and as luck would have it, one of those was recovered I think about 400 miles away in, in Twin Falls in Idaho. No kidding. Um, which uh, sort of blew me away a little bit because I was expecting them to travel due north and, and end up in Washington, but this one had veered to the east and, uh, and gone sort of east-northeast, I think, to Twin Falls. So, you know, that's an example of how little we know. Um, presumably they travel north and east because um, they do, as I say, turn up in... Washington, Eastern Washington, in the first week of June. So we presume they come from California, but um, who knows? So they arrive in, in early June and then they uh, immediately start laying eggs and, uh, and produce a, a local generation that emerges in uh, early July. Um, and then there's another generation that emerges um, in early August. And it's during August, early August, throughout the rest of the month, is the generation that migrates. Um, back to the south, to California perhaps. Um, we know that some definitely do go to California from our tagging studies, um, but we, we think that some perhaps also go down to Mexico um, because we've seen monarchs migrating in a different direction than you'd expect if they were heading to California. And in fact, we had one tagged individual turn up in Utah, which um, clearly was not heading to California. So. <laughs> As I said, we've got a lot to learn, but that's basically what we know about them at the moment. Uh, when did people start noticing a substantial decline in the monarch numbers? Um, in the West, um, from about 1997 onwards, the population seemed to dramatically decline. Uh, and In fact, this was the case in the eastern US too, and so it's quite remarkable that populations which often used to be thought of as separate populations, the western population and the eastern population separated by the Rocky Mountains declined at the same time which um, we, we think now the populations are not separate they, there is some interchange either over the mountains or coming up through Mexico and perhaps some of the population in the Mexican overwintering colonies flies to the west rather than to the east um, maybe both things occur but what whatever, um, one thing is certain that population is just one population and, and recent studies have shown that genetically the population is the same. Um, so it's one population. Okay. So the decline that we saw in, you know, after 1997 uh, makes more sense if you think of it like that. It's the overall population has declined um, and, and the reasons for that decline are still up for debate but um, one of the, the driving forces behind the decline, we think, uh, we're pretty confident about, is the um, decline in milkweed populations, which, uh, as most people know, milkweed is the only plant that monarch butterflies can develop on as caterpillars. And is the milkweed a certain species of milkweed, or is it a variety of different species? It's a variety of different species, if we're considering the entire U.S. and, and the western U.S. too. We have a... a, a fewer milkweed species in the west than they do in the east. Uh, in the Pacific Northwest we have um, two major species, in fact showy milkweed is by far the dominant species in Washington and Oregon, um, and so that's the species that 
is the most important for the monarch. But there's also another species called narrow-leaved milkweed, which is, is, is common in some locations, but it's not as widely distributed. So how are then uh, scientists and, and researchers such as yourself trying to either increase these population sizes or at least mitigate any further decrease of monarch population? Well, it's, you know, the, the efforts so far have been focused on increasing milkweed populations um, and there's a, a huge uh, um, upsurge in, in people's interest in, in doing this. Um, private citizens um, uh, throughout the country are getting invested and involved in establishing milkweed in their backyards, in parks and gardens, reserves, um, throughout the landscape. There's a, there's a huge um, um, effort to restore milkweed populations and um, it's part of the um, so-called pollinator initiative um, that was um, uh, established by the, the federal government um, a few months ago. And milkweed restoration is part of that. And, um, and we think that, you know, that is the, the major um, thing that we can do, um, that everybody can do, that can help monarch butterfly populations. Is to plant milkweed in is your garden or around right. your farm? Correct. And, and in fact, um, we've seen the benefits this year um, from... Uh, as an example, in Portland, Oregon, um, there are a lot of people that have established milkweed in recent years because of their concern about monarchs, and uh, they've never seen a monarch turn up until this year. So it just shows that, you know, even if it doesn't happen immediately, having milkweed around, um, even in areas like Portland and Seattle, where, you know, are not areas known to have large populations of monarch butterflies, um, there is the potential to attract monarchs um, if you have milkweed in the garden. Do you have any resource uh, that you know of where people can actually get showy milkweed or even narrow-leaf milkweed seed? Yeah, um, this, fortunately there are a lot of native plant nurseries that, that, um, that grow milkweed and you can buy milkweed um, young plants or seeds. And in fact if you Google um, milkweed uh, suppliers you'll find a whole range of suppliers throughout the country um, that will supply all the different species of milkweed, um, either as seeds mostly or as young plants. And uh, so, for people in Pacific Northwest, uh, just look up showy milkweed or narrow leaf milkweed, and you'll you'll find a supplier um, so that you can establish milkweed in your garden. So I read an article about your efforts to track the monarchs using tagged individuals that are raised in a penitentiary. Correct. <laughs> Is that correct? That's correct. Uh, yes. Can you walk us through this, this uh, project of yours? Sure. It, was, um, it, it all goes back to the fact that um, the populations that we have, the monarch populations we have in the Pacific Northwest are small. And so if we want to learn about their migration, uh, by tagging wild individuals as has been done for decades in the east um, and that's how we know that monarch butterflies fly to Mexico and come back because of the decades long involvement by citizen scientists in tagging wild monarchs um, we can't do that in the Pacific Northwest because we have so few monarchs here um, it would take um, 
you know, a huge involvement. Um, it, it's virtually impossible because, it, it, you know, if you go out looking for monarchs, you're lucky to see um, half a dozen uh, in most years um, if we're looking for them. So, so you know, a few years ago we decided that um, that wasn't going to yield the results that we needed um, to find out where they're going. If you tag a hundred monarchs, you're doing very well if you get one recovery. So you need to tag a lot of monarchs. And uh, so just about the time that I was pondering this, this problem of how to increase um, our tagging rate of monarchs, um, I had a phone call from Walla Walla Penitentiary who were looking for uh, something to involve inmates at the prison um, related to wildlife conservation and, and nature um, and give them something to do and something to interest them and uh, so I came up with the idea of getting them to to mass rear monarch butterflies and tag them to help in this this uh, process of um, identifying migration routes of the monarch butterfly um, by rearing our own and so it would have a, a, a dual Actually, it's turned out to be a multi-faceted um, impact um, in that we're getting research data from this. Um, we're adding to the conservation of the butterfly. As I said, you know, it's as we discussed, it's declining, and so by mass rearing them, we're actually adding to the population uh, quite substantially. Over three years, we've we've um, added more than six thousand individual monarch butterflies, which. Uh, um, you know, it, it is quite considerable. That's impressive. And and thirdly, it, it's provided um, a remarkable involvement of of the inmates at the penitentiary. Um, they love the program, and uh, and they do a great job at, at mass rearing monarchs, and they can rear them um, better than than I can. Um, <laughs> Well, they do have the time. That is precisely <laughs> what I was going to say next. They have time on their hands. Yeah. And, uh, and they use that time to devote themselves to rearing. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, one of the things I told them at the beginning was they needed to be extremely clean and make sure that the cages did not accumulate, you know, excreta and, uh, to, that would cause disease problems. They were meticulous about that kept their cages very clean because they had the time to do so. So they've, they've um, achieved very high survival rates. I mean, in the wild, if a monarch butterfly lays 100 eggs, then it's estimated that five, or, uh, five to seven of those eggs will become adult monarch butterflies. So you know, it's like a 93% um, mortality, mortality rate. But with the prisoners rearing, um, we get almost the reverse of that. We get about um, 85, 85% survival rate wow. um, due to their meticulous care of the butterflies. And when I do it, I, I'm lucky to get 60% survival. So it's, it's been remarkable in, in the, um, the involvement that the prisoners have had. And, and it's had an impact on their lives in the prison too. I mean, they wake up in the morning and they just want something to do, something to occupy themselves. And this is... Um, done more than that. This has uh, given them something to occupy themselves, but it's given, some, given them something to think about too. I mean, um, I've spoken to some of the guys there involved. They, they can sometimes draw parallels between what they are observing in metamorphosis, the butterfly, the, the eggs turning into caterpillars and turning into chrysalis and then the butterflies, and, and relating that to them, their lives and, and perhaps how they can change themselves, you know. 
and it's a metaphor for it's themselves. A, right, right. So it, it goes quite deep in, into their interest and involvement into their psyche, mm. and uh, and it's an extremely popular program in the prison. They have to be well behaved um, to get onto the program, and so it's it's helped with um, you know prison harmony, I think. So in addition to the monarchs that they're raising, do they also have to then raise milkweed, or do they...? Yes, they, they do. They, they have their own little milkweed patch growing there now, um, which uh, and a flower patch as well for the butterflies when they release them. When the butterflies emerge, they, they actually tag them. I provide them with the little sticky labels that they put on the wings of the butterflies. We can uh, track their progress. And so they have a little flower garden there that the butterflies will feed on before they leave the prison. So yes, they're, they're involved in the process from, from beginning to end. Is there anything else about this project that you think people should know? The prison part of it has um, you know, been so successful that other prisons are considering doing it too. I would like to extend it further in, in different directions, and uh, we've started doing that this year with citizen scientists um, in having more people involved in tagging the wild population as well. Uh, I said at the beginning that we don't have enough monarchs to, to, um, to get the data from just wild tagging, but in concert with you know, mass rearing, then it does become you know, every monarch we tag uh, adds to the total. So this year we, we're beginning to establish quite a wide network, a large network of people throughout the Pacific Northwest that are interested in tagging monarchs and so I'm supplying tags to these people and even if they're only rearing 10 or 15 in their backyard mm -hmm. um, they are tagging them and, and you know one of those may be one of the ones that, that turns up in, in a California or Mexican mm -hmm. overwintering colony so um, the network has, has grown considerably and uh, in the future we want to involve school children as well um, it quite be quite neat to have two ends of the spectrum, the prisoners in the, in the prison and the school children in, the, in school um, tagging monarchs for the same reason. Sure. Um, so would you have a recommended website that people can visit or some sort of way to contact either you? Sure. I, ha I have a Facebook page um, which is uh, Monarch Butterflies in the Pacific Northwest. I encourage people to visit that. You'll see a lot of information about what we're doing there with regular updates and you, you can contact me through there if you're interested in tagging in subsequent years or, or even this year. Um, happy to send out tags to anybody that, that w is going to rear or see monarchs um, in the Pacific Northwest. So you said that there's a, a migrating generation that is in August. Have you already tagged those individuals or will you be tagging those? Yes, the, 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 the migration has just begun as of mid-August. And, uh, and it will continue through to early October. All the monarchs that are emerging now from local populations throughout Pacific Northwest will become non-reproductive and migratory. Uh, they stop breeding and they just head to where they're, they're going to overwinter. Some of the results we've had in the last couple of years, and last year we had quite a few recoveries. Um, as I said, we, there's only about half a percent of what we tag gets recovered again so you know we don't get that many recoveries but over the last few years we've got you know we're beginning to accumulate quite a, a lot of data on where they go and um, a lot of them go to California and so you know we've had them from Santa Cruz in fact one of the uh, prisoner 
reared and released monarchs turned up in Santa Barbara last year, hmm. uh, which is the record so far. I think that's about 800 miles. Um, that was the record in terms of distance? In terms of distance um, in, in, in the West. Um, so we didn't think or know that they'd fly that far south. I mean, they were almost getting you know, towards Los Angeles, um, flying from, from Walla Walla. Um, wow. So that was, was quite a remarkable recovery, and it was found by um, a citizen scientist again. I mean, citizen scientists play a big role in all this research, but it was a citizen scientist that was uh, helping count the overwintering butterflies, the overwintering monarch butterflies along the California coast. And they, there's a huge contingent of citizen scientists up and down the California coast that, that go out around Thanksgiving every year um, counting the monarch butterflies that are overwintering. And it was this one small site at Santa Barbara that only had um, about 100 butterflies, a very minor overwintering site, nestled in a small canyon amongst, in a suburb, a residential suburb. And uh, there was the, the Walla Walla butterfly the that had been tagged four weeks before, I think, and had traveled 800 miles. Wow. So the prisoners were really happy to hear about that. <laughs> That's fantastic. Well. Thank you for meeting with me. I really appreciate this. This is fascinating stuff. And Thank again, you. the Facebook page is called Monarch Butterflies in the Pacific Northwest. Thanks, David James. Thank you.